Okay, we're live. everybody happy new year if uh you did not listen to our previous episode happy new year again um happy 2021 back at you the double down wnba podcast as always eric nemchuk alongside stephen trinkwald stephen do you have any new year's resolutions i i wish i could say i did but um my new year's resolutions usually come and go uh, but i am doing a dry january no alcohol this month for me so I'm, i'm glad to hear that well best of luck my one of my resolutions is to complain less about wnba broadcasters which i'm doing a great job of because they're not actually playing yet. So cross your fingers that I can, <laughs> I can keep up with that. Now, shifting uh, that higher to NBA broadcasts. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. The ones who actually deserve it, right? Uh, <laughs> so what for, for those listening, we're just going to be doing a, uh, a little kind of like a casual episode today. With it being a new year, you know, uh, you're full of possibilities, uh, as Calvin and Hobbes uh, put it, you know, like a blank slate full of possibilities. We are going to go over some things that we'd like to see from the WNBA and college basketball, you know, women's basketball in general in 2021. Some of this stuff may be realistic. Some of this stuff may be not so realistic, but we just kind of wanted to do a little bit bit of table setting, kind of step away from the in-depth analysis a little bit and have a casual chit-chat. So, Stephen, what did you kind of want to lead off with here? Well, my first thing was, uh, you know, something that, I do have a lot of confidence that we will see. This is kind of like not really in doubt, but something that, you know, should be just kind of brought up and and had in a conversation like this, where we're just kind of talking about kind of broader, you know, league trends or or something like that, especially with the recent, you know, runoff election in Georgia, but the players continuing to just kind of use their platform to promote the issues and the causes that, that mean a lot to them and kind of flex their political will for, for the greater good. Um, And we, you know, we've seen statistically speaking and even just kind of like what we're kind of seeing on, on social media, like how much um, Senator-elect Warnock's profile was raised and how much his contributions increased, how much his poll numbers increased after the WNBA players like made it their mission to put Kelly Loeffler on blast. And I think that's, uh, it's an amazing thing and, and something that, you know, we, we try not to kind of compare the WNBA to the NBA too much on, on the show, but something like in the NBA, you know, as soon as the election passed and as soon as the new season started, like the Black Lives Matter messaging was gone from, from the court. Right. Um, so one thing I would like to see is just the, the WNBA, and I'm sure they will just kind of continue to flex in that regard and be ahead of the other leagues in, in this area. I totally agree with that. It's, it's something that makes me proud to be a WNBA fan, um, knowing that they're on the, on the right side of all this stuff. And not, not just the right side, but really leading. I mean, wherever you look uh, in recent years, the WNBA players have been at the forefront of this. And I, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be going anywhere. You know, not to, not to make myself sound ignorant, but I'm just going to be honest. I didn't know who Raphael Warnock was before the WNBA started promoting him and, and campaigning for him. And I believe well, he, was, he was polling in Georgia like 9% or something like that before they started campaigning for him or, or something, some very low number. And just to see him now, now get elected to the Senate, it's, you know, obviously there are more, there are a ton of people like uh, Stacey Abrams and all the, all the brilliant activists down there in Georgia who were also helping to spearhead this campaign, but it really puts into perspective, like how much influence the WNBA players have. It's more than, more than the, the common sports fan might think. And uh, it's empowering, you know, to us as fans and to them as players, you know, to, to see like, Hey, they did make a difference with this. So I don't, I agree. I don't think this is going anywhere. So yeah, that's, it's been awesome for sure. What, what's number one on your list? Um, like, I don't really have this in a, a priority, but I'm just going to 
I'll just go with the first thing in my notes. WNBA fantasy basketball. I would like to see Yahoo or ESPN or one of the really popular fantasy basketball platforms take a stab at this. It's something I've been asking for for a while, but I think it would do a lot of good, not just because I am a fantasy basketball player, but because, I mean, I think it'd be really good for the league. There's no real downside to doing this, in my opinion. This is taking nothing away from uh, sports.ws. Austin Kent is the guy who, who heads that, and it's, it is a WNBA fantasy league, WNBA fantasy platform, and they do NBA fantasy as well. But having it on a large platform such as Yahoo or ESPN, you know, we saw what happened when the WNBA started being offered on DFS platforms, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel. It basically exposed the league to an entirely new audience and possibly factored into teams providing timely injury updates as well. I forget who told me this, but, you know, a while, uh, a few years ago, teams were not giving these daily injury updates before our games. It'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so, it turns out she wasn't even on the plane there. It's like, what? You know, like, like we'd appreciate this update beforehand. Now that, you know, a lot is riding on, you know, player injury updates and statuses and stuff like that, the league is kind of being strong-armed into providing that information. And also, you know, casual fantasy basketball will kind of further expose the league to those audiences and give people more of a reason to follow. You know, I know not all WNBA fans can be glued to their seats watching these games 24-7, but it'd be a good introduction to, you know, fans just getting into the WNBA because they'd be able to approach it from a different angle. And also, it's just something that fans have been asking for for a long time. It's, you know, we, we'd like a, a different way to follow the league, you know. It's uh, from more of an analytical perspective and... Um, I mean, who doesn't love fantasy basketball, right? Yeah, and from my perspective, I'm not someone that plays a ton of fantasy basketball, but just kind of hearing you lay out the, the case for it, like it's, it's just low-hanging fruit for companies that already have a stake in, yeah. in this league's growth. Like ESPN and CBS are broadcast partners that air the games that also host fantasy sports sites. So to not do it seems like uh, you know, you're, you're kind of not putting all the tools into your own investment that, that you could. And it is such an easy way for people who like kind of are on the periphery of getting into the league or have thought about it for a few years, but, you know, never just find time to really tune into the games to just get a little bit more, more into it and have an introduction to it. And, you know, just uh, an easy way for it to grow, as you were saying. It's uh, that's a good point. It, it, It kind of, you know, I've also been saying this about, you know, the WNBA being slowly brought into uh, the 2k series. Like why, why are we still at a point where, it's limited, you know, like the, 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 I don't want to, I don't know how to, I don't know the terminology behind this, but like you have full franchise mode or full season mode or full GM mode or whatever for the NBA. Why can't you just do that for the WNBA too? Like it's already there. Same goes for WNBA, uh, WNBA fantasy basketball. Like I know you've got the coding or whatever, like how to set up an NBA fantasy league. Why can't you just like the data is there for the WNBA, like the players are there. Why can't you just move it over? I'm sure it wouldn't be that big of an effort. Obviously, I have no clue what I'm talking about on that front, but I think it'd be a great thing to have. Yeah, not to like, you know, downplay how much actual work goes into getting getting something like this set up because I'm yeah. sure there are a lot of people that work very hard to get these things, you know, working properly to not have, you know, glitches or, or anything like that. I'm sure a lot goes into it on the back end that we don't understand. But again, you're already kind of putting an investment into this stuff and and you know definitely no disrespect to the platform that you had mentioned before uh, sports.ws and and Austin and the work that he's doing, but people are going to be a little bit more people who are not WNBA fanatics are going to be a little bit more uh, open to getting into a new fantasy sport on a platform that they're already playing fantasy on. You know what I mean? 
Okay, uh, your turn. What's next? Um, this one, uh, unlike what I said before, this is something I have uh, very little confidence, I'll, I'll say, in that I will see it or that we will see it in 2021. And that is a bubble, at least until, you know, an Olympic break or an all-star break or something like that. Um, I think the league would be very well served to play in one kind of centralized location, isolated from, from the rest of the world. Um, you know, vaccination rates are not really going as well as I think the more optimistic among us thought they would be going by now in the new year. You know, cases are at an all-time high. Uh, maybe that turns around in the next, you know, four months or so. And, and obviously I hope it does. But I think the league and the players should at least be open to the possibility of kind of starting the league off in a bubble for the first half of the season. And, you know, maybe if things, we see things start to get better, we can kind of think about going back to opening it up and, and players playing in home arenas with fans. Otherwise, you're going to kind of get the disaster, I think, that we're seeing now with the NBA where games are getting postponed. You know, teams are playing with the absolute minimum allowed number of eligible players. And some of those players aren't even really healthy enough to play, but they're suiting up just because, uh, you know, you need X amount of players to play a game. Yeah, like this thing is not getting any better. Uh, and, you know, the vaccines are available for some, but a lot of states have, uh, you know, very, very strict restrictions and kind of who is able to get those. So, and obviously players have been very outspoken about kind of how grueling it was and, and how taxing it was mentally and physically last season. But, um, you know, if a season is going to happen this year, it's, it's definitely something that I think should be considered. Yeah, you know, it's pretty selfish of me to to not want another bubble uh, as like a season ticket holder and stuff because I miss it, man. I, it's it's such a big part of my life going to Sky Games and interacting with the players and fellow fans and all that stuff. But I mean, you're right. You know, the, if you look back on the success of the WNBA bubble, it was it was incredible. It, it accomplished basically everything that needed to accomplish. There were no recorded COVID illnesses, and then if you look at what's going on in the NBA right now, as we speak. Uh, games are getting canceled or postponed or whatever you want to say. Uh, and teams are suiting up with like seven players because the rest aren't healthy enough. Like your, your, uh, your Boston Celtics, how many people do they have in, in health protocol right now? Like eight or nine. It's, it's goofy and it's getting out of control quickly because it's a virus and it spreads. Um, and even if, even though, like you said, the vaccine is going to be distributed more and more, I don't have full confidence that every single person can be vaccinated by the time the WMA season rolls around and like you're playing a contact sport, you know, it's, it, it's going to, you're breathing on people. It's, it's, it's going to, it's going to happen if, if you have it. So yeah, you know, the first half of the season, I think would, would be a bare minimum starting point. I don't think it will happen, but I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll see where we're at come, come April, come May. Definitely something to think about. Uh, what did you have next? I had more stats. Uh, you know, I love my stats. You love stats as well. Um, this is another thing kind of comparing to the NBA, which might not be fair, but like looking at the NBA stats page, it has so much stuff. Uh, it has everything you could want and a lot of stuff that you don't really want. Um, and bluntly put, there's no good reason why the WNBA should not have this metrics available as well. Like, I'm just like, I I'm not as, uh, as in tune with the NBA as you are, so maybe you could add some stuff. But I have just some examples here. Um, NBA has hustle stats, which include deflections, screen assists, charges drawn shots contested, player touches and average seconds per touch, player tracking such as, you know, catch and shoot, drives, speed and distance, travel during a game. I mean, this is all wild stuff. Like, not everyone has 
access to the synergy statistics, right? Making this data available to the public would encourage more analytical coverage, you know, thus gaining lead respect and widening the audience. Now, I don't want to, you know, sound like a prude or whatever, but if you make this data available, people who are viewing the game from like an analytical eye will be more inclined to cover it. That's, that's the way it is. And it will thus widen the audience. Now, more video, I think, would also be tremendously helpful. Um, they just started doing this, was it last year or the year before? I think it was the year before. But it only goes back for like a couple seasons, like the individual video clips. And it's not quite as uh, extensive as that on, on the NBA website. Is there anything else you, like you could add to this, Stephen, as a, as a big NBA fan? Yeah, and just for kind of the uninitiated, what uh, what Eric was just referring to was, you know, if you go to, they call it advanced box scores. So if you go to, you know, a game that uh, Sylvia Fowles played in uh, June or something like that, you can see what her rebounds look like, what her points look like, you know, every shot attempt that she took, every turnover that she had. Uh, and you can do it for individual players and, and you know, team-wide as well for pretty much every statistic out there. The one thing I wish they had is like, you can't really see how they got to like the free throw line. Like that is not interactive, but pretty much everything else is is pretty available there. Um, but the one thing for me that would be that you didn't mention is just like teammate on-off info. Like you can do full lineups and individual oh, yeah. on-off, but I think uh, the NBA calls it their impact page. Like how well does Connecticut do with Alyssa Thomas on the court and Jasmine Thomas off the court or Alyssa Thomas and Dewana Bonner on the court and Jasmine Thomas off the court. Like you can kind of go individual like five player lineup or three player lineup by lineup but you don't really have the overarching kind of data that shows you you know from a big picture what the team is doing with specific players on the court and, and other players off the court and you know it's such an an easy one you know uh not not easy in terms of again like the coding to do it or something but it's available on on the nba i think it, the nba page i think it would be pretty easy to implement on the WNBA play page like some of the player tracking stuff like you need you know, the, the, the synergy cameras installed in the arenas and, and stuff like that. But this yeah. part, I think, is a little bit easier to, to kind of implement. But with that being said, you know, we'd love to see what you were saying also, you know, deflections, screen assists, like how much people are moving per game. You know, I remember uh, in the NBA a couple of years ago, we learned that like John Wall pretty much moved like the least amount. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I remember that. Uh, yeah, he just kind of walked back up. So, you know, stuff like that it would be really great to see. And I'm with you. That that stuff would be, I think, invaluable in terms of just um, accessibility. Yeah, I mean, the the future of of uh, basketball coverage, as far as you know, journalism is concerned, is with video embeds and with advanced statistics, and that's something that the WNBA is just not. There's it's just not there. And I, my uh, Nikias Duncan, big big famous, big famous shout out to Nikias. You know, one time he asked me like, why is the WNBA why is there not enough video on the, on these stats pages? I was like, I don't know. We just, it's just never been there because he as a, as a, uh, as a prolific NBA writer, he's used to just being able to grab whatever video he wants and whatever embeds he wants from the NBA website and just like put them into his articles. And he can, you can formulate, you know, you know, talking points and, and opinions and, and, and facts from those clips. WNBA, you can't really do that aside from like looking through, combing through the advanced box scores and it takes a while because like, you're not really sure what you're looking for there. So, yeah, that's, that's a big sticking point for me. Um, not for myself as a writer, but just, you know, for, for everybody. I think we just benefit the coverage and, and benefit the league as well. And so the, the rest of my stuff are kind of, uh, you know, on-court team-specific or player-specific things. So do you want to go through a couple more of yours um, that are, you know, yeah. directly related to on-the-court? More general, sure. Um, 
Another one would be more merchandise. This has been a problem since the beginning of time. Uh, the WNBA orange hoodie campaign was like so incredibly successful. Uh, I want to see them follow up on it. You know, like, like, like kudos for, kudos for that, uh, that campaign. Now, so you know that it's there, you know that the audience is there. Like, hey, gee, if you put the product out there, people will buy it. Who could have guessed? The WNBA web store is um, underwhelming at, at best. For some reason, like, it's always been this way. Like, there's officially licensed merchandise available at team-specific stores or even elsewhere, but not on the official website. And I'll give you an example about this. You know, there was a big uh, fuss about, you know, people not being able to get their Sabrina Unescu jerseys until, like, August or something like that, even though pretty much everyone and their brother knew where she was going and, you know, where she'd be drafted and what have you. So I saw, I saw somebody on, on Twitter say, I think it was an Oregon fan, I've, forgive me, I forget who his, what his name was, but he said, uh, yeah, you know, there's a Sabrina Unescu name and number shirt on, on the Duck Store. I said, oh, okay, the Duck Store. Let me go check it out because, um, you know, Oregon Ducks. Uh, and turns out there was a... Um, there were name and number t-shirts for Ruthie Hebert and Satu Sabali as well at the duck store. So I ordered myself a Hebert shirt. I ordered myself a Sabali shirt. Like, Hey, cool. You know, the duck store, they came in the mail and the tags said WNBA store official merchandise. I'm like, well, okay, that makes no sense because why is this available on some college basketball store, unofficial store, but it's not available on the official WNBA website. Like that makes no sense. So like, and you, I don't know if you've seen Stephen tweets. I think um, Liz Cambage tweeted this. Bria Hartley tweeted this. Something along the lines of, yeah, I have people asking me, how do, you get, how do I get your jersey? And I can't give them an answer. It's like, well, what is that? You know? like, and to be fair, I don't think this is entirely on the WNBA. Um, ever since the league switched over to Nike as a distributor or as the official uh, merchandising partner, uh, if you will, there have been problems about you know, getting merchandise rolled out on time, um, getting merchandise rolled out everywhere you know but everyone just needs to do a better job of leaning in in my opinion you know uh nike fanatics uh outlets you know such as dick sporting goods even you know something like how easy is it to go to like walmart or target or kohl's or whatever and just buy an nba jersey or buy an nba shirt even if it's not quote unquote authentic or you know the real the real deal the WNBA and its partners need to do a better job of advertising the league through its merchandising and I'm not saying this as a selfish fan because I've been wanting this for a long time. No, no. Just just look at the online WNBA store and tell me that they can't do better, you know? Yeah, and just the volume of products that are available yeah. as well. Like, you can't get, like, team shorts. Like, I know there was a, uh, a collaboration, you know, over the – an unofficial collaboration, I guess, uh, over the summer that, you know, had some some nice merchandise available, but it's not really, it's not the WNBA driving that. Like that's the onus is on like individual creators to, to make that happen when like I should just be able to go get a pair of shorts that, that are branded from a specific team on the WNBA store and that, you know, I can hoop in or whatever. Uh, and that's just not the case. And it's mm -hmm. uh, other leagues, you know, haven't really been running into this issue. And, and like you're saying, I think the onus is a little bit on everyone to kind of just lean into it a little bit more and make it more of a priority because the demand is there as we saw. It is. It's, it's totally there. I mean, this, this past summer proved it. Like you look at all the celebrities and, and NBA players in particular wearing the orange hoodie. It's become the fashion statement of the WNBA. So don't tell me there's no demand because there's clearly demand. Should I keep going or would you like to jump in? No, please continue. Okay. The next one I have is more variety in player specific coverage. And I know you've, you've got some notes on this as well, so, so bear with me here. Um, 
First of all, question, who is the face of the WNBA? I'm going to recuse myself from that question. Exactly. So the fact that you can't really answer that or don't want to answer that, I guess you could say who is the face of the NBA and, you know, maybe, like maybe it's LeBron James still, maybe there's some other players, but the NBA is so, is so big, you know, and it's got so many superstars in it. To me, like the league has a problem as far as it's full of dynamic and personable and just downright amazing women, many with amazing stories, uh, you, know, you know, stories of overcoming odds and, and redemption stories and, and what have you. And they're not boosted nearly enough beyond, you know, the usual suspects. Uh, we had a player come in, I'm just going to say it, like Sabrina Unescu was drafted and she was immediately like on the front of all the WNBA pages and, you know, making their headlines about her every single day. That's not her fault. And she is like, she's one of the most decorated college players of all time. She should be promoted. Fine. But you have vets who have been playing in the WNBA for many, many years and who have been playing overseas for many, many years who have been doing some amazing things and they have never really gotten that type of coverage, you know? And it's just like, I'm just going to go through what's the answer. Like for, for one, Asia Wilson is to me what, it represents everything that's great about the WNBA. Yes, she's an incredible player, but she's also an incredible person. She's very outgoing. She's always doing charity work, you know, in the community. She's going above and beyond for, you know, young women and, and girls who are looking to play basketball. Um, and she's just such a personality as well. Uh, Sugar Rogers, Cheyenne Parker, Renee Montgomery, Natasha Cloud, Jackie Gemelos. How many people know that Jackie Gemelos, I mean, maybe this is kind of her calling card now, but she's torn her ACL five times in her career. And she still made it to the WNBA. How amazing is that? You know, just lean into more of the stories from these players who may not be quote unquote stars, but they've still got more than enough background information to really, you know, provide a hell of a story. And to be, you know, the WNBA champions itself on being a league where young girls and young women can look up to spread it, you know? So I know you've got some notes on this, so, so go ahead. Well, I, I disagree with you slightly. I mean, your overall point, I, I think, is fair. I, just in terms of, like, the saturation of coverage in general, like, the league isn't, isn't covered enough. But I just – I guess I'm not sure who you are taking issue with ex- exactly. Because, like, if I go on to The Athletic, let's say, their WNBA page, most of the stories on that are a feature story about Alicia Clark, a feature story about Chelsea Gray, a feature story about Jackie Gemelos, a feature story about Lasia Clarendon. You know, they've done, I think, three feature pieces on Alyssa Thomas in the past couple of years. You know, if you go on the next, one of their top stories is how Dewana Bonner and Candice Dupree are handling life in the bubble. I mean, how many pieces have we seen talk about how Amanda Zowie B is the leader that the Liberty need, despite her, like, not really being, like, a, a productive WNBA player? Like, I think... Yeah. Like, I, I think there's maybe this issue just comes from like the larger um, outlets. Like, maybe this is an ESPN specific problem that's kind of making all of their WNBA coverage about, you know, Sabrina Unescu or something. But I think there's, there's a lot more of a lacking in kind of other types of coverage, in my opinion. And there are definitely a lot of writers doing a lot of great stuff. Like, how long have, did we have to go up until the last couple of months to see? you know, multi-year salary information for yeah. teams cap space, you know? So, you know, Ben Dull is one of my favorite writers uh, in terms of the WNBA or any sport, but they're not a ton of other people I go to for kind of reliable film breakdown on, on the WNBA. You know what I mean? So I think 
overall coverage is is lacking, of course. In my opinion, like feature writing is the one thing that I'm not really looking for a little bit more, but that's not really the type of coverage I seek out either. So uh, maybe I'm, it's not fair for me to even weigh in on it. Okay, fair point. Like, and you, you said like, uh, you mentioned the athletic and, and the next and stuff. My point is exactly that. It should not take grassroots efforts from fans turned journalists in order to get this stuff out there. ESPN is the one who says, okay, we're the official proud partner of women's sports. And a lot of the time you don't really get that feeling. Granted, things are better than they have been in recent years. I think because the rise of all these other outlets is kind of putting pressure on ESPN to actually, you know, do their job a little better. But I think, and also the WNBA's official website needs to do a better job. Although, you know, credit where it's due, they have uh, posted like a social justice page. I don't know if you checked it out, but it kind of goes over like which of the players are, are leading the efforts as far as, you know, social reform and, and everything like that. So it's getting there. It's getting there. But it's something that, in my opinion, can always improve. And it can always, you can always share the wealth a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, I think that's, that's good stuff. And it definitely okay. is on, you know, this is something that our, our friend Curtis talks about all the time. Like during a WNBA game or, or an NCAA women's game, like we don't have to talk about the college football national championship. Yeah. That was one specific example I remember him tweeting about. I wasn't watching the game, but, um, you know, just some more kind of in-depth analysis or, or covering different, different players, you know, on those, what little airtime, you know, this this league gets it you know it really says it all Stephen. at the halftime of a wnba or women's uh, college women's game or women's college game rather you get previews uh, or highlights of men's games but during the halftime of a men's game you get highlights from the men's game i i think that's you don't have to look any further than that and i think that kind of leads leads a little bit into your kind of next point here it does um this is another thing i've been asking for for a while and i'm sure i'm missing a little bit of the uh the backstory behind this, but I think there needs to be better cross promotion between the NCAA and the WNBA. You know, you look at, you look at a typical D one women's college game and there are diehard fans everywhere. You know, I'm not speaking just to, you know, you know, the really, really big programs, but I mean, any college, you know, the students and and, and then the staff and everybody, they lean in and they support their athletes. Um, I am befuddled. It, It does not translate to the WNBA in most cases. And that's, that's not, I said most cases because, you know, some fan bases like, uh, I'll just name a few, like UConn, Tennessee, South Carolina, very, very dedicated fans who continue following their, their athletes into the pros, which is awesome. But I want to see more of it. You know, I, I just don't understand why, why so many people, they just like stop following their players once they get to the pros. Like they're doing great things here in the pros, you know, not, not just in the WNBA, but playing overseas. Like how great of an accomplishment is that? And ask yourself, like, how many advertisements for the WNBA do you see during March Madness or do you see during NCAA play? I don't see many. You know, I'm sure there are, like, legal hurdles that need to be jumped through or, and stuff like that. But it just seems like an obvious sticking point to me where, you know, you can't see. Like, some of these, some of these, some of these women, like, you, you can tell when they're, they're freshmen in college. Like, they were born with a basketball in their hand. You know, they're going pro for sure. So why can't there at least be some sort of angle, you know, hey – you know, watch the, watch the league where this, this woman is, is likely to be playing next year, or where do you think she's going to be playing? Like what's her WNBA draft stock look like, you know, during a NCAA broadcast. Again, I, I'm sure there's maybe a little, like a little bit of a conflict of interest there, you know, among the broadcasters or with the NCAA. NCAA has a lot of uh, goofy uh, rules. <laughs> I'll leave it at that, uh, that I'm sure are inter- interfering with this, but you get where I'm coming from on this? 
it's just another it's just another audience that for the WNBA that is just there, but they're not taking advantage of. But I digress. You want to get into the more team specific stuff now? I've, I've kind of got my fill. Yeah, sure. Let, let's get to some on court stuff. Uh, the okay. first thing for me was, you know, obviously we are all hoping that John Quill Jones is, is back for my Connecticut son next year, but want to see some more of that Alyssa Thomas and Dewana Bonner at the five and the four, respectively, without a center. That combination, they played about 95 minutes uh, total in the regular season. And, you know, overall, those minutes were slightly on the negative side. But a lot of those <laughs> combinations, you know, really got killed with Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, who we both uh, were not high on her uh, 2020 season, you know, uh, while it was going on or, or in the rearview mirror. But none of the, the lineup combinations I think that we'd want to see with those two players at the four and the five, like, didn't really get any burn together. Like, Jasmine Thomas, Brian January, Kyla Charles, and those two didn't play together at all. That same lineup with Heidemann instead of January hardly played together. That same lineup with January and Heidemann and no Jasmine Thomas barely played together. So all the combinations you think would maybe make sense. Uh, and granted, you know, January had a, a little bit of a shorter season and then was kind of, you know, working her way into things. And, and this will be maybe a little bit tougher to even see if Connecticut somehow bring, finds a way to bring Bree Jones back. But I think against a, a lot of teams, particularly backup units, like these two players are probably going to continue to play a ton of minutes. So as a way to just like, you know, in, in 2019, I, I guess it was, you know, whenever John Quo Jones sat and uh, obviously Bree Jones has improved since then. Um, but, but Connecticut just got killed whenever John Quo was off the court. So something that I think it has a lot of kind of potential to open things up. Like obviously Thomas has a very unique uh, game as like um, a very, paint bound four um but that kind of just gives you a little bit more of an element of spacing when john quell's not out there i think it's easier to kind of lean into the uh, transition game as well right yeah for sure you know those two players are, are pretty good in, in transit you know obviously thomas more so than bonner but bonner's uh fine and yeah the more kind of wings or, or guards you have out there with those two players uh you know the faster you'll be able to go if uh, if they do do that though, that like you you mentioned it already, my question is what does happen to Bree Jones? You know, I mean she she performed pretty admirably in the bubble last season. Do you just like like do you go to this before Bree Jones? Well, I I mean I guess I'm just working under the expectation that they're not going to be able to bring her back. Oh okay. Um, okay. You know she she had a pretty good season and I think they're they're just going to be pretty strapped uh, with cash with uh, Alyssa Thomas and Jasmine Thomas both due for. A, uh, a new contract. So, you know, they, they have mom premier. She served admirably at times. So maybe they just kind of roll with her as, as the backup center for a much less expensive option and divert any remaining resources to maybe uh, a wing player, something that we talked a little bit about on our, our free agency uh, preview. That's kind of, you know, more where I would go. Like if, if it just works out that no one's really interested in Bree Jones and you can bring her back for a reasonable price. Great. But uh, I think it might be hard for them to fit her in. I got you. And that's that's going to be a free agent to watch for sure, given her performance and given the market. Um, we both have some things on the Liberty. Uh, what do you want to say about New York? I mean, I just want them to like bring in some some real talent. Like it's <laughs> I, not, not no, like, no disrespect to, I mean, some disrespect to some of their players, but no disrespect to like, obviously the the players that can really play in this league. Like, but it's one thing to like, you know, we we talked about this at length, but it's one thing to take a million threes, but you're, young player development is going to be a lot easier and a lot more successful, I think, if those players can actually bring with them some gravity and can 
you know, do some things with the ball in their hand and, and are some sort of a threat without the ball in their hand uh, and can actually, you know, make the shots that your playmakers are, are setting up for them, whether that's Ionescu or hopefully Maureen Johannes uh, or Asia Durr or, you know, the list goes on in terms of kind of young players that they have in the backcourt that, that can create for other people. So, you know, bring in some players that can actually make some shots, bring in some off-ball talent off the ball in terms of spreading the floor and like make the player development easy for, you know, as easy as it can be, if you know what I mean. Well, we, we kept saying it like, yeah, they're shooting a lot of threes, but they're just not good looks. Like they're just, they're just hovering around the perimeter. And that, man, that team was a nightmare. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, Maureen Johannes. I really hope she comes back to the WNBA next year because just imagining her next to Sabrina Ionescu, like the amount of playmaking between those two. First of all, I, I want to see Ionescu healthy. Um, she's, like I said, one of the most decorated college players of all time. It was, it really sucked when she got hurt, you know, uh, almost a few games into just a few games into her rookie season. Um, and for like, as much as I was saying like, Oh, the league is, is focusing too much on her. It's, it's better with her healthy. You know, the, the WNBA is, is better with Sabrina Unescu in it, both from a talent perspective and from a marketing perspective. So I want to see her healthy. I want to see her play next to Maureen Johannes because that backcourt would have a tremendous amount of playmaking and just overall swag. Uh, it's, it'd be a lot of fun to watch. Um, so I'd like to see them start the two of them and then maybe bring Asia Durr off the bench. I think when we were doing our uh, top 25 players under 25 years of age exercise, we both agreed that Durr would be a really good six-woman type of player. So we'll see what they do with that, you know, and also just sign like a legit center. I'm not sure if Zowie B is going to resign or not, but regardless, you know, someone like Natasha Howard, Neko Gumake, Cheyenne Parker to a lesser extent will just drastically change the outlook for this team and the way that they want to play. Uh, I think that they're really soft and on the interior on both ends of the court and it'll just give them an added dimension. It's yeah. I, I know you want to shoot threes and I agree with that. That's a good approach, but you're almost playing you know, one dimensionally because you, you're shooting a lot of threes, but like you really don't have any inside game to complement that. So just to have one of those players sign, I think if any of those signings would just be a home run pick for the Liberty. So their roster is going to look a lot different next year. There's no doubt about that, but they would greatly accelerate their rebuild if they could land like a, a premier front court talent like that. So the next one I had was, I had a couple of things on the sparks, like I, I would feel differently than what I'm about to say if Christy Tolliver wasn't like waiting in the wings for this team, you know, if she didn't sit out in 2020 and we didn't really kind of get to see this, this core again. But, you know, with that being said, like I want them to figure out a way to bring all of their free agent stars back, uh, Chelsea Gray, Candace Parker, Neko Gumake, and, you know, go one, one more run with this kind of core four of like all, all star, all WNBA level players. And, you know, see if they, they have enough, uh, you know, just from a, a salary perspective, it'll be pretty difficult to kind of fill out the wing there. But, you know, I, I, I would hate for it to be broken up now and then, you know, them never really to have another shot with Tolliver back in LA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be pleased to know that uh, Derek Fisher did say he wants to bring them all back. So, Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> so uh, that settles it. Right. <laughs> and one other thing, like if, if Candace Parker, maybe didn't have the defensive season she just had. Like maybe I would say, all right, let's, let's get a change of scenery for some of these players, but she still showed that she can like bring it on that end every single game. And, and that's really obviously important for this team's like, you know, their real championship aspirations. Um, and just from like a, an on the court perspective, like I, I want to see like some inverted pick and rolls, like with Candace Parker as the ball handler and 
Christy Tolliver setting the screens or mm. some small, small pick and rolls with Chelsea Gray uh, handling the ball and Christy Tolliver as the screener. And, you know, we've talked so much about how many teams, you know, use their wing on, on Chelsea Gray instead of one of their, their backcourt players. And having such a dynamic off-ball player like Tolliver to be able to maybe screen for Gray and, and get a better matchup there, I think would be really fun to see. And I hope we see some of that. Do you think that Candace Parker will go back to LA? I do. Yeah. I mean, they can give her the most money and that's important uh, when you only play this game for X amount of years. So I, I mean, I obviously have no information, but if she doesn't, I, I would, I don't feel so strongly about it, but I, I guess I would favor it slightly to her going somewhere else. I agree. Uh, I think that, mm, I think sh- there are a lot of players out there, a lot of big names out there that people are speculating, you know, won't return to their respective teams. And I think, uh, those fans should be more worried about those players than Eric Parker. Just, 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 a, just a thought. Just a, just a thought. You've got something on Phoenix. Oh sure. I mean, this is one where I, I don't know if we're ever going to see this again, to be honest. But uh, one of the things that I would just love to see is like for a complete regular season, a totally locked in Brittany Griner on both ends of the court. Like, can she put together another season where she deserves? an all defense nomination or has that just kind of passed her by from like a, a 34 game sample type of thing where, you know, she's just not going to be locked in. Like, I I don't think she really needs to be a huge, you know, almost 30% usage type of player offensively. So can she maybe divert some of that effort back into the defensive end? Yeah. I'd love to see it. I am still waiting to see it after many, many years. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, for the past several seasons, I've picked Brittany Griner to win MVP because, like, oh, my, my thought process is just like, yeah, this is the year. You know, this is the year she's finally gonna gonna assert her dominance and 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 break out into this MVP caliber type of player. And she's been really, really good, but has never reached that uppermost echelon of players. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Uh, do you want to talk about your Chicago Sky wish list? Sure, I would love to. Um, yeah, my Chicago Sky. So. This is a little uh, biased, a little homer, whatever, a little subjective. But um, first of all, I think they, I want to see them re-sign Cheyenne Parker. She had a career year in the, in the uh, bubble. She deserves a pay, cut, uh, pay raise, not a pay cut, a pay raise. Um, it, they are in kind of a bind. You know, I, I talked about this with, uh, with Ben on the, on the uh, Winsider podcast a few days ago. They, in, they are in kind of a cat bind where they're almost forced to re-sign Cheyenne Parker because if they don't, well, then they're going to have a, they're going to have a problem. Um, but I think she is her player development. You know, she continues to get better. I don't think she's ever going to be one of the best at her position. And that's kind of an issue because there are so many really good players at her position. But if you don't resign her, um, you're just creating a hole where you don't need to create a hole. Um, I think it would be a disaster, honestly, if they don't resign Parker. If they don't resign Parker, like, and, and they don't get something else in return, like, like a big sign and trade, if you will. But I'm not too concerned about that, honestly. I also want them to draft like a combo guard. There are a few guards in this in this draft class that I think would be good fits on this guy. Ari McDonald from Arizona, Dana Evans from Louisville, and Avina Westbrook from UConn, if she declares. She can stay in, in school for next year if she wants. But I think the the need is so obvious for a a backup guard for Courtney Vandersloot, who can also do, do a little bit of scoring if she wants to. You know, you look at the – we, we kind of joked about it a lot about – you know, Courtney Vandersloot's on-off differential, it was enormous. 
you know, I know Sid Colson was, was going through some things recovering from COVID. She got a late start with them. Um, she wasn't good. And I, I feel like you have to, it's, it's just a logical step to, to draft a, a scoring point guard if one is there at number eight. At this point, I don't think either McDonald nor Evans will be there at number eight, but you never know. Uh, there are some strong international talents. There's some strong international talent in this class. So many teams before this guy may look to say, okay, we're just going to stash this player. Given the cap concerns, you know, you can draft a player and then, and then stash them internationally and not have them count. So we'll see what happens. And then, uh, like, I just want it to be an exciting offseason, to be honest with you, but I'm prepared for boredom. You know, I, I, as, as it stands, I don't think there's much this guy really can do. Plus, you're going to be looking towards the 2022 offseason where who do they have to resign? They have to resign Vander Quiggs. They have to resign, you know, uh, DeShields and Williams and Copper. Copper, yeah, and, and Dolson. Dolson if they choose. Uh, so they have to kind of think, think forward there. They can't just go out there with their with their with their pockets open and say start throwing money everywhere. So, and finally, like as far as a actual schematic uh, standpoint, I want them to get on transition more. Um, in 2019, they were fourth in transition frequency according to Synergy. They were just tenth last season, and that was kind of surprising to me because. You know, I feel like this guy or this team that is perceived as a very skilled team and a very a team that like shoots a lot of threes. But if you look at their roster, they don't really have that many shooters besides Quigley and Dolson if she's on the court. So how do you how do you compensate for that? You get out and run more. But you know, maybe maybe this was DeShields' absence. She was still one of the uh, one of the players with the highest transition individual transition frequency last year in the league. Um, but obviously she wasn't healthy. We didn't see a lot of her or as much as, as much of her as we would have hoped. Um, and I felt like they stalled a lot, you know, and it's a problem if you don't, you, it's hard to get on a run if you don't actually get the rebound, <laughs> if you don't actually get stops. Um, but I feel like they just could have done more for themselves as far as getting easy buckets and, and getting out in transition. Maybe that was a, a bubble thing. You know, maybe those, you know, some teams we go over it. We went over it previously. Some teams, some players just better suited for the bubble than others. But, you know, with Kalia Copper establishing herself as a player who can get, you know, 20-plus minutes per game on the win, and then with a healthy Diamond of Shields, that pair is just extremely explosive out there on the wing, and I think we need to see more of it heading forward. Yeah, and you and Ben on um, the floor game had a great conversation about kind of what what that can look like athletically yes, with both yes. of those players out there and maybe, you know, Gabby Williams out there as well. Like, you're not really going to get too many – lineup combinations that can kind of match that athleticism in terms of, you know, being able to be explosive in the open court or, or even in the half court. But yeah, obviously I think more, more diamond to shields on the court will, will help that transition game. But yeah, you also have to, you know, not give up a ton of transition baskets uh, like, like Chicago. Was a problem. It was, it was definitely a problem. Um, so hopefully they're able to kind of, yeah, get, get open, you know, diamond to shields was just such a force in 2019 in transition and, like you said, her, her individual numbers, just in terms of like her frequency was, was still way up there. Um, but obviously when you're not on the court as much, you're, you're not able to do it as much. So kind of a problem there. Um, one for me, you know, you know, something that we've kind of uh, alluded to a lot, but would love to see Washington just prioritize some of their other free agents over Tina Charles. You know, I'm not completely opposed to the idea of Tina Charles on this team, but I would hate for them to lose, you know, some of the, real key contributors to what made this team so special a couple of years ago in terms of uh, Ariel Powers or Emma Meeseman or something like that. Um, 
yeah, or even, you know, Latoya Sanders or, or Natasha Cloud, you know, those two players they have a little bit more leverage with because they're uh, suspended and can only negotiate with Washington. But, but nevertheless, like, you know, I think Charles can play uh, an important role on this team. Like she brings an element of like size and strength down low that I think this team could really use, but she didn't really do that in New York, at least in her final days, you know, she was almost always guarding like the kind of less dangerous of the two front court players and Amanda Zawibi would be stuck guarding Liz Cambage down low and just getting completely annihilated. So hopefully with a different offensive role, maybe with Charles comes a different defensive role. But, you know, like I said, I, I just hope they don't kind of sacrifice what made them so special to fit in a player that I don't really think, you know, what we last saw of her really kind of fits into what made this team so special. I agree with that. Thing is, like, it's, it's a really interesting offseason for them. I would hate for it to be like, well, you know, we're sorry we have to let Ariel Powers go because we have to re-sign Tina Charles. Like, I, I, that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Like, that's – I would hate to see that. Yeah, exactly. But if there's one maybe wrinkle that could help them out, like Emma Mieseman being an international player, maybe, like, they're able to just, like, re-sign her and then suspend her contract and she just doesn't come over for a year. Is, is that a possibility? Yeah, I think so. I mean – I think there's a possibility that a lot of international players don't come over this year. Very true. Yeah. It had going back to our bubble conversation, but uh, yeah, interesting off season upcoming for Washington, for sure. They are by no means, they got a lot of work to do. They got a lot of work to do. Um, I've only got one more thing. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead uh, for Dallas. They've got a new head coach, Vicki Johnson. Um, she said she wants them to play faster. Uh, a lot of coaches say they want their teams to play faster. So I, I'm wondering if they're actually going to do that. It's like you look at their, their 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 team and they're just not. I hate to see a team full of really good athletes and you know young players play so slow like they did under Brian Agler. Like that's just the coach. That, that's just the kind of coach Agler is. He, that's that's what he's been at every stop he's made when he was coaching. But I think more pace would help them. I also think I'd like to see her install a more egalitarian offense. I think you probably know where this is going. Ariki Agumawale led the league in isolation percentage last season as well as jumpers taken off the dribble she is a tremendous offensive player uh jump shots taken off the dribble early early in the shot clock are bad offense i don't care who it is it's it's bad offense it's boring it's it's not something i want to watch if i'm a fan um and it's just not conducive to winning basketball really so they have the talent there they've been they've been, they've been hyping up, you know, Oh, we got, we had such a good draft class last year in in, in 2020 and they're going to have a little more, more picks this year. And in 2021, uh, how are you optimizing that? That's basically my question. If it, if it continues to be the Arike Agumbawale show, yeah, you know, it's good content, but what's, what's the ultimate ceiling of a, of a team like that, you know? Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like I, I think, and this is something we talked a little bit about last week. Um, but I think Arike can be a really powerful player off off the ball and, and spacing yeah, the yeah. floor she's a really good catch and shoot player um i don't think she has to have those incredibly high usage numbers the incredibly high isolation numbers you know taking so many of those kind of tough off the dribble jumpers you know she she makes them as well as anybody but they are still just an inherently uh a, a less efficient shot than a lot of other things that you can get and dallas has some pretty good other players you know what yeah. i mean and as those other young players kind of continue to come into their own um I think what you're saying uh, is is going to be in Dallas's favor, and and I hope we see it. Um, but it is it is funny that uh, one of your things, uh, of course, this is very on brand for us, is Dallas playing faster. Uh, my last thing was Indiana playing faster. Yeah. Um, they were uh, 
Indiana being the only team below 10% transition frequency when 12 other teams in the league are, you know, 12% or above, like they were so far behind what everyone else is doing, how frequently other teams are able to kind of get out in transition and, and finish plays in transition. You know, Kelsey Mitchell on her own had 77 transition possessions. That That's pretty good. You know, that's a definitely a respectable number. That'll be up there in terms of individual numbers around the league, but nobody else had 30 total. Um, and I, I don't really know the path forward to increasing this number. You know, there aren't a ton of other players that I look at on this team that are just like, okay, well, they're going to get out in, in the open floor. Um, but yeah, that, that number is just really, really low. Yeah. And, oh, well, I actually have one thing for Indiana as well. Um, I want to see Victoria Vivian's healthy. She's had really, really bad injury luck over the past couple of seasons. And I think, you know, heading into the season, we kind of hailed her as a, as a player who could unlock this Indiana offense, you know, the next level is Indiana offense with her outside shooting. Um, she was never really healthy. And of course she, she had to leave the bubbles to get a procedure done. Uh, I just saw she signed with a team. I think it was in, was it in Spain or stuff like that? But she did sign to, uh, to a overseas team. So that's good news for her health. I need Victoria Vivians to stay healthy um, because she is a really dynamic offensive player when she is on the court. So as far as transition is concerned, I don't know if she's, I don't think she's that player, but you're right, man. I mean, the, the state of basketball being where it's at, especially if you're a team that's so poor defensively, you got to optimize your offense. You, you got to get easy buckets where you can get them. Um, otherwise, you know, you're just giving up so much in, in, in shootout types of games, you know? Yeah, hopefully it's something I, 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 again, I just don't know really how it kind of improves unless like yeah. Alamon takes a step forward there, but you know, I don't, they don't really have a ton of like wings that are, you know, so, so uh, active in transition or something like or that. Or bigs, so, like who, who are your bigs who are sprinting the floor? Yeah, no, that that's a great point too. Um, uh, anything else you wanted to, to cover? Uh, this was uh, a pretty fun discussion. Yeah, this was, uh, this was pretty fun. Um, I'm just about out of ideas, uh, but I, I think it was just a fun exercise, you know, looking forward to the, the new year, the new season, hopefully one that is filled with health and prosperity for fans and players and coaches alike. Um, and we'd like to hear from you, you, the listener, because I'm sure there's a, there's a laundry list for everyone out there who's listening to this and uh, things they want to see, things they don't want to see. Maybe if you agree with us, great. If you don't, that's cool too. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at the, uh, at double down WNBA or our personal accounts at Nemchak E or at Trinkwald. Um, we are available on Google play, Apple podcasts, uh, Spotify, all that good stuff. We'd really appreciate it if you subscribe or leave a nice review, if you deem us so worthy. Um, other than that, thanks for listening. Uh, we oh, really one appreciate other, Sorry, oh, one ahead. other thing I was going to say is go listen to uh, Eric's appearance on <laughs> uh, the floor game with Ben Dull. It was a great episode. I appreciate that. Yeah, we talked Sky. We talked a lot of Sky. Uh, maybe a little bit more than necessary because we, we had a little recording snafu where we weren't actually recording while we were talking, but it came out okay, I think. So uh, thanks again to Ben, if you're listening, for having me on. I'll look forward to talking more in the future. And as Steven said, Ben is a really good writer. He's really, really good at you know detail-oriented film breakdowns and stuff like that. So check him out at uh, floorgame.substack.com. We do not have a Substack. I don't think it'd, it'd be suitable for our brand. But like I said, we are on all the podcasting platforms. So thank you so much for the engagement and the support over the months. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Stay happy, stay healthy, and uh, keep a smile on your face. (laughs)